Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Movies. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And joining us today, we have a new guest host, I guess, uh, who has yet, friend of the podcast, newcomer to the podcast, longtime listener, am I right, Warren? Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, this is Warren. <laughs> uh, you want to yeah, tell that us? that is me. Warren, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You have to outline your credentials so that people know that you are a trusted, a trusted <laughs> figure among the some derps talk about things community. <laughs> well, specifically when it comes to some derps talk about games, uh, I work in the film industry. Uh, so when it comes to this Oscar bait, like this is my entire life is watching films and commenting on them. So I think... I think I'm qualified. Yeah, and that's that's a good lead-in, because today we're going to talk a little bit about Oscar Bay. But before we do that, buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? You literally just said we talk about Oscar bait. Uh, or today we're talking about Oscar bait. Normally we're to, we talk about, you know, just movies. Normally we, we have actually yet to do, like, a big art house kind of... Uh, uh, like set of like high caliber movies like this. We almost always do the big blockbusters because well, that's I, what I'm more interested in. I, I feel like we've restricted ourselves to kind of like the nerd movies because those are a little bit more in line with like game and nerd culture. That's right? definitely true. Right, like Iron yeah. Man. Like you could see video game fans liking Iron Man more than say Manchester by the Sea. Um, <laughs> for sure. For yeah, sure. and you know, I and I also I'm a big fan of. Uh, I, th- I think I think blockbuster movies get a bad rap. People just kind of assume there's nothing more to them than when there actually is. You've got to try a little bit. But anyway, we're here talking about the Best Picture nominees for the Oscars, the Academy Awards for 2017. Um, there are nine Best Picture nominees. Uh, they are in order of how they appeared in this list on Google. Uh, La La Land, Hell or High Water, Hacksaw Ridge, Arrival, Hidden Figures, Manchester by the Sea... Uh, Lion, Moonlight, and Fences. Uh, we have each seen kind of a smattering of these. I'll just go first real quick and say that I saw La La Land, Hell or High Water, Arrival, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. Uh, Mango, which ones of these did you catch? I've seen Manchester by the Sea, La La Land, and, uh, and Silence. Oh, right. Forgot about Silence. Yeah, Silence is going to fucking best picture nom. Oh, was it on the list? No, it didn't get the it didn't get oh, a nomination. Really? I just love it so much, oh, and okay. it totally should have gotten one. And that was also kind of like the impetus for for this episode was when Warren was like, "I want to talk about silence." So that's true. We're gonna talk about I, silence. Uh, wait, uh, um, <laughs> did you thoughts. did you see Arrival? Did you not see Arrival? I have not seen Arrival. I never got around to it. Oh, okay. And then Warren, which yeah, Amy Adams wasn't enough of a hook for me either. Uh, oh wow, really? God, man, you yeah. Suck. Well, not really. Well, a little bit. Well, not really. Okay, but really, uh, <laughs> I saw, um, I saw Moonlight and Fences and La La Land, uh, and I also saw Silence. And I have a lot of thoughts about Silence. And I think just <laughs> the fact that it wasn't up for, like, a like for Best Picture, means something. Like that is a message. But we can talk about that in a moment. Oh, what? That is interesting. Uh, yeah. So. Out of those movies, uh, there's obviously a whole bunch of overlap. I want to talk about each of them, but uh, where do you guys where should where should we start? Um, well, it, it seems like everybody's chomping at the bit to talk about silence. Okay, so so why don't we start with silence? Sounds good to me. Silence is, of course, directed by 
the legend, the one, the only, Martin Scorsese. Uh, it stars Andrew Garfield, um, Adam Driver, and Liam Neeson, though there's a whole bunch of, uh, uh, there's obviously like a ton of actors in here. It's the story of um, Portuguese Catholic priests um, who are, you know, missionaries, and they're going to Japan where Christianity is outlawed and being persecuted uh, by the Japanese government. And... Um, you know, the, the, and the whole story is about Andrew Garfield's character uh, kind of coming to terms with this crisis of faith, right? Like faith in the face of persecution and all the trials and tribulations uh, that he went down. Um, Silence, I will open by saying, is my favorite movie, not my favorite movie of the year, but the, what I think of as the best movie that came out this year. And that that award to me goes to silence which is why i think it's so criminal that it didn't get nominated for uh for best picture i think it um you know it kind of did it it kind of did that thing where it covered its bases right you know like i don't think there are any big major mistakes um you know it all flowed together and it was properly paced and all that other kind of stuff um but it really went above and beyond in uh the kind of how much it really wanted to grapple with these like super high concept high caliber themes about like faith and stuff like that and so i was i was all about that um so yeah uh what did uh what did uh you guys think yeah i i re well, you want to go for it sorry didn't i mean not necessarily i mean kind of so yeah i completely agree with buddy that it was a very well-made film. Like, when it comes to the definition definition of good cinema, it's Martin Scorsese. He knows what he's doing. Um, and, of course, the big thing is when it goes into these concepts of faith, especially when it comes to the culture, culture clash, which is the backdrop of this film. For anybody who's a history buff, they would understand that a film that is about, like, Christian missionaries in Japan... Uh, very much touch, touches at, like, the whole imperialist notion and several different countries at the time that were trying, like, for vying for, you know, economic control of Japan. Um, but I don't necessarily think that the film approaches that fact really well. And that's the whole point. My problem with the film was far past the it's a good piece of cinema. It was how it handled certain high-concept things. Uh, Mango, you can uh, you can go first. Yeah, so I I, I really enjoyed this film. Um, it, it wasn't my favorite on on this this kind of list of Oscar bait films, but um, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it, it did God, a. You tell me that Manchester by Sea was your favorite, aren't you? I am. Um, <laughs> this is gonna kill me. <laughs> um, but uh, but I did like Silence was a was a was a close second. Um, in fact, I liked all all three of the ones that I did see. Um, but um, Silence um had a lot of weight to it, which I really enjoyed, and um, I think coming out of the Christian tradition maybe a little bit stronger than you two did, I appreciated it from kind of the point of view of, like, the the, the, the struggle of the faith, um, and I, I thought that was really cool and really well explored by the film, and I appreciated it from, uh, from, from that perspective. So to be clear, Warren, what you're talking about is, like, the film doesn't quite own up to the... Uh, you know how shitty it was uh, for Europeans to be uh, like it doesn't own up to any of that kind of like imperialism stuff right yeah I think well because one of the things is I mean this is a movie and the way that I look at all movies especially historical context films is 
You can't go based upon what the historical context is, other things that happen outside of this film. The point is what happens in the film. Uh, but having known the outside facts of what's going on, what has been going on, what will go on, and obviously Martin Scorsese didn't want to talk about those things. His point was these priests in Japan. His point was not what they represented and what they were a part of, whether or not they were willingly a part of it. Um, but to some degree, I think that would have changed opinions when it comes to how you viewed both the priests and Japan represented by, oh God, what did they call him? Mokichi, was it? Yeah, the Inquisitor. Yeah, they, 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 they picked like an actor with like, like the, that that really nasally high pitched voice, like it was very clearly like, oh, this guy is is like the villain, and you could tell because he's got a nasally annoying villain voice. And uh, yeah, and, and I, I could definitely appreciate your your kind of like the, the kind of way that that like you could see see the the twist kind of like the perception of of what's happening, um, outside of of the greater historical context. See, I, you know, I actually, I, I kind of have a huge problem with, like, these greater historical context kinds of arguments because I think you can use the historical context in order to get at something that's not about, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so, the, for instance, if you want to make a movie like, geez, what's a good example of this kind of a movie? Uh, well, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but, like, if you want to make a movie to, like, show to kids that, like, history teachers show to kids in history class in order to, like you know just report to them what what the, like what transpired right in this time period i think that that's that's fine and that's fair kind of thing but i think that you can do something like and and this is true of some other films like you know titanic or uh American Sniper is actually probably the best example of this that i can think of in like modern times where it's like okay american sniper is like it's about loftier things than just who Chris Kyle was, right? And whether or not the Iraq war was justified or not. Like, the movie doesn't care about that kind of stuff. So, the fact that I care about that kind of stuff and I'm marking the movie down for not doing that is kind of doing the, like, the movie isn't the movie that I wanted it to be, therefore it's bad argument. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. kind of like, like, and I think this is true for science, right? Like, this is a movie that's very cerebrally about, like, philosophies of faith and how all of that stuff breaks down, right? Like, in, in, a, in a kind of practical context. And so, the real world, you know, the actual minute-to-minute -minute of how this stuff works and owning up to it and getting all that other stuff is sort of secondary, almost, to the argument that's being made. Because the argument that's being made isn't that, well... Catholic priests were doing the right thing. It's, you know, see, I, I can I can understand that, but I also think that the movie would have been better served if they had just hadn't talked about that. Like, I feel like they they talked about a little like like you know they, they pay lip service to it. They bring up in one of the arguments that this is just a play by the different Christian nations to gain more influence over Japan, but it's kind of like all contained to that one scene and then dropped. And I think that, that that scene's inclusion kind of makes it part of the movie, but then doesn't treat it well enough, if that oh, makes I mean, sense. I actually feel the opposite way. I think that scene is just enough. And it's, I, th I think there's a, you know, the movie is very kind of vignette-y in a lot of ways. Like, there's kind of... Um, uh, and and each you know each one is, is a little bit of like, okay, well, how does your... You know, how do you... 
interact with your faith in this circumstance and how do you interact with your faith in that circumstance and i think that scene was just you know it's kind of exactly what it is on the tin right like when andrew garfield is confronted with the fact that his faith is probably just a political power ploy it, does that cause him to lose it or does that cause him to falter so to speak do you see what i'm saying like it's just kind of it's just kind of a, a facet of the larger argument at play rather than being right I guess, I guess my point is that so, so when it comes to how this film presents itself, right, uh, I mean, every filmmaker has his voice and his, uh, like his way of looking at it and what he presents you in the film is not necessarily how he looks at it, but it's slightly skewed. Um, and it always will be because there's only so much information you could take in in two hours. Um, but one of the reasons why I bring up the historical context is because like Mango said, they bring it up, but they don't really like hammer it down. And I'd be fine with that idea, except while I'm watching this movie, I'm getting this picture of, yes, Andrew Garfield, you know, Father Rodriguez, Andrew Garfield's character, is really struggling through all of this, like basically torture, like spiritual torture that the Inquisitor and his agents are putting him through. But I guess my point is, you know, this is a film that somewhat touches on a subject that I guess I would have preferred it to explore a little more specifically, which is that, like, crash of cultures between, you know, Japanese spiritualism and, or Buddhism, actually uh, Buddhism at the time, and, you know, Catholicism, Christianity. And instead of really going into that, it paints kind of a one-sided picture of, like, Japan being unreasonable, and I kind of wanted it to be this midway where I wasn't really siding with Father Rodriguez off the bat. Yeah, I actually agree with you. And I agree with you from, from outside of the historical context, um, kind, of, kind of the faith context. Like some of my favorite parts of that movie were um, kind of the theological arguments between, uh, uh, between Buddhism and Catholicism. Um, and, you know, they were, they were very flowery. Um, and I thought those were, those were really interesting. Um, but at the end of the film, the conclusion isn't that like, you know, isn't, isn't some sort of, you know, deeper exploration of like, you know, like losing the faith or, or, you know, faith, faith in the face of another faith. It's kind of like they come to the conclusion that Japan is a swamp devoid of all like reason, um, like, you know, faith can't grow in Japan. That, 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 that seemed off to me, right? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's oh, why so I got, I don't think it comes down on that side. I think it comes down on the side of faith is a personal thing, essentially. Faith is a faith is a personal thing, and it doesn't all of the all of the external stuff, all of the trappings and everything else, right? All that stuff doesn't matter, right? It's that it's that you you personally believe what you believe, and that's and that's what's important. What the, how did you get any of that at all? What? Like, you don't, I, you well, don't get that? No. That's well, what he does. I mean, that's what that's he does literally when he part of the argument. The well, that's what he does. No, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't give it up at the end. That's, that's, that's the point. He's burning in the barrel with the cross in his hand. Right, because the, he, because his faith is personal at that point. It's not external. It's internal. But, but he, he sold his soul for it. That's why he sold, like, like nothing for, like, past the... Uh, past the, the the point where he stomps on 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 the, the face of Christ by the way spoilers for all these movies um because we didn't say that at the beginning of the of, oh, of, the, right. oh, of, the, of the cast um I think that I think that moment is traumatic I think so I think the movie kind of comes down in a couple of different ways um I think Liam Neeson is right but also wrong 
in a way in a weird way like the part that he says where he's like you're not jesus your suffering doesn't make you you know your this is just pride here your suffering isn't going to help these people right all of that to me is the argument the film is essentially making to stop caring about the you know like the external outward stuff right all that matters is what is you know is like the personal uh aspect of it and that's why and i don't actually think that like i don't actually think that the movie is trying to say that he's having like a horrible life after that right like he's he's subdued uh to a certain extent sure because in a in a you know in a certain sense he's living a lie or whatever but i also think that there's like almost a quiet dignity to it right um i don't know I don't know. Well, Warren, what are your thoughts? Because I've got some more, but I want to hear what, hear what uh, your take on all this is. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, and I, I'm going to keep coming back to this, like, you know, Rodriguez, you know, kind of face level is facing, like, the Inquisitor and his agents who, like, don't agree with him, obviously, and, like, want him to give up his faith so that it helps them in their agenda, right? Like, the entire time, everything they go through is the Inquisitor getting him to give up his faith, right? Because it's a part of his agenda to keep Japan, Japan, whatever. But I guess my point is, like, and, like Andrew Garfield's struggle with faith, especially in the face of all these things the Inquisitor does, would have meant more to me if Japan and the Inquisitor personally wasn't painted in such a negative light. Like his agent who kept trying to argue with him about just like, listen, this isn't going to work. Like, why are you letting these people die? Like, right? Like that part of it, that was great. But every single time it was just like, yeah, they're just going to kill these people. They're just going to do this, just going to do that. And like, I get it. You can interpret that differently. But for me, it very much was like, well, at the end of the day, they're just doing horrible things. I don't know, man. I, I don't think that the movie was as admonishing, I suppose, See, uh, I, I, of the Japanese as that. Like, I definitely think it is because I definitely think that, you know, like the persecution that happened was wrong, right? Uh, but, I, you know, I was struck during the movie how much it was willing to give you... I think it would have been easy to just demonize everything, right? Like, you don't get this character, uh, right? Like, like even just the fact that in that prison, you know, he, he's kept in a cage or whatever, but it's not like he's thrown, you know, like, it's not like he's thrown in some dark dungeon where he's like, you know what I mean? You really could have played all of those things up, and I think the movie pulling those punches was actually the right call, and that's kind of made it fair enough I See, suppose. I don't. I don't think they really pulled any punches. I, I, I think you've you've grossly misinterpreted the like the back half of this film. When I see Liam Neeson and and uh, and Andrew Garfield searching for Christian contraband, like I see two broken men who are dead on the inside, like wow, who can't return. Really see that who can't return to their home countries be, uh, out of shame, and who can't like like live the life they wanted to because that you know because because they're broken, like. It's, I like they are. There's none of the 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 exuberance and like the the, the look in Liam Neeson's eyes just says to, says to me when, when he's making the argument to Andrew Garfield just says to me like I am broken and this is this is my life now, um, and and I felt that like like I, I felt in that way that the, the that the power of the movie was supposed to be that even even through all that that 
Andrew Garfield, at the very least, managed, Father Rodriguez managed to at least keep his personal faith um, to some level. He managed to hold on, on to that cross, but, um, you know, it, just, it, I, I feel like that, I wouldn't have felt so strongly about that if they didn't keep harping in, in that epilogue about how much they were monitored to make sure that they didn't revert. Right, like this, this, this was a story about like beating someone down and keeping them down for their entire lives. Boy, jeez, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, for instance, I, I, I guess it's just kind of the the collection of the back end because like there's the moment where Liam Neeson slips up, slips up, and he says, "Our God," right? And you see Andrew Garfield's face, kind of just like what? And to me, like going into that, I think Andrew Garfield was broken right because i think he got you know i think he kind of got a, a certain amount of comeuppance for that pride and everything um when he had to when he had to renounce himself in a certain sense right but it was when it was when liam neeson said our god that he was like oh my god i get it now kind of thing you know what i mean um and uh I, yeah i don't know i don't know man that's just i mean just weird. i think those scenes like there are these two scenes that try at least to me try to give this opinion that like something is still going on underneath like liam neeson like and maybe it's just simply the idea that with rodrigo getting there all of a sudden he has like this amount of resurgence of his faith but there are that scene like you just mentioned the argot but then there's the other one and this also kind of more indicates rodrigo being just have given up where and maybe i'm remembering the scene wrong correct me if i'm wrong but liam neeson picks up an argument calls it not christian andrew garfield picks up the same piece takes it apart finds the christian component to it and then says no this is christian and then liam neeson has this moment where he's staring at him like uh oh okay as if he was trying to hide it oh see and I he thought yeah. Oh, hmm, I don't know. Well, so, so like, I, if I'm remembering the scene wrong, that's me. <laughs> so you're remembering the mechanics of the scene wrong. I just don't remember the part where Liam Neeson stares at. Like, I didn't have the same interpretation of Liam Neeson staring at um at uh yeah, at, at Rodrigo. But, yeah, I also think that part of this happens in the early in the movie. Adam Driver's character sets up Andrew, sets up Rodrigo as being uh, more prideful. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, he name actually, checks it. He name checks it right off the bat, actually. When yeah. they're up in that, when they're up in that hut together, which is also kind of feeding into my perception on this. I guess to a certain extent, I read that and I was like, "That's the thesis here, right? Like this is this is what we're kind of uh, this is what we're kind of dealing with." Um, so I mean, I'm hell, also coming I, in from. I actually liked all that stuff at the top. I. It's funny. I. You know, if there's if there's something I want to get on in this movie's case for, and I don't quite. It's that I don't think Andrew Garfield is quite good enough to make it. Like, oh, 100%. I'm so glad we're bringing this up. So okay. glad we're bringing this up. <laughs> um, yeah, I. You know, I think I think he's good. I think he's solid. I think uh, you know. I think that maybe ten years from now, um, but he just still kind of has that weirdly like teenage like look to him will he ever grow out of that i don't know it kind of killed it uh, and like the age makeup on him was awful see, see, but uh, no, but adam not. driver did work for me i thought he was awesome the thing that bothered me the most about garfield was um was his his fake accent sa- sounded super fake the entire time um at least to me i i oh, think man, to, yeah, yeah you know i guess i, get I mean that. I was, for the first, like, ten minutes, I was actually, like, kind of just upset by the notion that, like, we weren't speaking Portuguese. And I know 
that disconnects an audience and a lot of people have opinions about things being in language, not in language. Um, but I got over that. But I think yeah, I, the- I'm I am uh, I I don't hold that kind of stuff against it. But it's weird to me that they did English with the Portuguese. Typically, they just do yeah. English accents. And I know that that's kind of shitty or whatever. But I also think you know what, like fuck it, right? Kind of. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but I think, and this is actually, gosh, I'm gonna actually bring up this argument with La La Land too. But I'll just bring it up here. Uh, but you have a movie, Silence, and it has this main character, and maybe he doesn't quite make it to what you want, but there's another actor in the film that could have probably brought it all the way, and that's what I think the Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver situation is. Oh, you is. would have liked to see them swapped? Yes. Oh, like, man, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, the reason I feel that way is because there is a scene with, you know, Adam Driver's Father Garupe long distance, like far away, like yeah, it's, you know, scene, where, yeah, right? Where Adam Jarfield is just like, just completely imploding. And these people, well, the scene is that, you know, they're drowning people and he's on the sidelines, like at next to the ocean and he just freaks out and he swims in and he tries to save them. And it's such a powerful scene. And then there's Adam Driver in the corner crying about it. Um... But my point is still the same. I, I think scenes like that kind of prove to me anyway that Adam Driver could have serviced that role better when it comes to the confliction and the anguish um, that the Rodriguez character goes through. Maybe I agree with that. That's, that's fairly compelling. Anyway, we've spent 25 minutes on this. Um, yeah, moving but on. But we can transition. Uh, we can transition to La La Land. I'm actually... Kind of, well, okay, so first... Um, uh, okay, so first, uh, La La Land was uh, directed by Damien Chazelle uh, of previous fame. He did Whiplash from 2014, the best movie of 2014 in my estimation. Uh, it stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone and basically has nobody else in it. Um, and it's the story of, uh, it's a musical first off, and it's the story of me and Sebastian. They are uh, two kind of starry-eyed, fledgling artists uh, who get together to make it big in the big city of LA and then stuff happens. Um, I, uh, I like this movie a little bit more than I did immediately after watching it, but I still, I still have a whole bunch of problems here, but I'm interested which of the two Ryan Gosling or Emma Stone is the, is the, uh, Adam driver and which of the two is the Andrew Garfield that you were referencing in this movie. Okay, it's actually not that. It's a minor point, but I'm still going to bring it up. So one of the big things that uh, Ryan Gosling's getting credit for, and he should, you know, he learned piano in three months, right? He learned piano for this film so he could play, like, two camera, right? And I do not fault that. That is a great endeavor, and he does a good job. But in this movie, you have John Legend, an actual pianist in the film, who you force to play the guitar. Like, there's a band, and yet John Legend isn't the one playing piano. And obviously, that's not important to this film, because, you know, Ryan Gosling is a great actor, and John Legend is a musician. But I just thought that was a funny quirk of how that film was set up. Yeah, I definitely get that. I actually, see, I feel the same way-ish, because I 
don't think Emma Stone is that great. It actually sucks, mm. too, because I was really on the Emma Stone tra train, like, bandwagon for a long time. I think she's great in kind of, like, all of those uh, really <laughs> – this is going to be mean a little bit more than I intend anticipate or intend to, but it's kind of before she did uh, Alejandro Iñárritu's Birdman – I thought she was awful in that too. I just hate that movie also. But um Yeah, but no, we're she whole uh, other thing. Before before that, right? Even in, you know, like super bad, right? You know what I mean? Just kind of like but the the amazing Spider-Man movies, right? Like she's great in that stuff, right? Um then you know, she has even like the help, I think she's awesome in that, right? All this stuff, and then uh and then Birdman happens, and I think she's awful, and I think she brings forward that kind of Birdland Birdman thing i can't even really describe not what affect to get into about, birdman I hate it so much it's so I not good <laughs> don't want to get into birdman but are you sure that's her and not the character written like i'm just gonna put that out there because just just saying you know what it really is i i do know what it is it is and this is a similar problem that it's a similar problem that comes up and i'm, I'm gonna get back to this uh in another uh in another kind of like in a roundabout way, but um, it's actually the cinematography. So because Birdman is so fixated on these long takes, right? On one, one shotting everything and just like jacking off to its own one shots. Um, you actors don't normally shoot that way, right? Normally you shoot, you shoot scenes back and forth a whole bunch and then you cut in and out. Right. And so you can, so you can pair up, Right the first sentence that they say and the second sentence that they say, you can get the best one out of both of those kind of things. And like, and I can see how, you know, like I kind of get how the intensity almost of that, of that one shot uh, makes stuff kind of work. But I kept feeling in the middle of like the monologues or the conversations or just in the middle of a sentence where I was just kind of like, Oh, that's so weird. Right. And I know in my head, the, like the editor in me can see there should be a cut here and they should use a different take. You know what I mean? Like the front half of this is fine. The back half of this is bad. Let's swap it in and out kind of thing. That's what you would do if you were editing these movies like a normal person edits any movies ever. Um, but th but these both of these movies just want to just like want to jack off to the fact that they're like, you know, all of these takes are three or four minutes on end. Um, and I don't know that I necessarily like fault Emma Stone for for kind of like not doing quite great in that environment. Uh, but I totally do. It actually kind of sucks too because I think Ryan Gosling is awesome. Uh, Ryan Gosling really kills it in this. In this, uh, uh, and he's under the you know he's doing the exact same cinematography. So, you know, I can't. Uh, it it is you. It is unique to her. She's just. It just. I don't know. I don't know what it's about. But it's two movies and they're both shot just like this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at least when it comes to Emma Stone, like I. I'm like super behind her and her character and how she's portraying it kind of up until the time skip. I mean, basically like I, I'm super, I think things make sense to me when she's like, you know, star studded and like her relationship with Ryan Gosling. Like I'm really, I think the character makes sense, but it's just the success aspect. And then everything after that, that I don't, I guess I just don't equate to her or the character that she set up. And so that section kind of goes flat for me when it comes to her. Oh, really? See that? Oh, you know what? Uh, before I say this, Mango, you haven't said anything about La La Land. How did you think about La La Land? Uh, well, I I enjoy. I thought it was delightful. 
Um, and it really brought me back to that, like, it just, you know, you mentioned it's a musical, but it is a musical in the style of like those early fifties and sixties musicals. And I really enjoyed that, but I do kind of, um, I see your point about, about Emma's, I think I agree with Warren a little bit on this. Um, like her character seems like it's supposed to be like, like a little bit less kind of like, like, like her, her jump into stardom is just kind of like. It's, it's so sudden, and it's, it's, it's not like, I don't know, it, it felt weird. It felt like, like the piece that, like the time skip, there like the piece that you miss in that time skip, I thought was, uh, I thought was kind of important to have seen at least a little bit of that, maybe? I don't know. It, Interesting. I actually love everything about the time skip and everything. Um, in fact, I actually was ready to hate this movie and really shit on this movie right up until the time skip and the time skip really brought it all back um i if well, if it had I mean, ended, the time skip brought it back because of ryan gosling well the time skip brought it back because of ryan gosling but also just like from a story structure uh and kind of like thematic point of view this movie ending on the fact that they don't end up together really works and the way that they execute on that is also awesome Right, that whole you know that, that whole song final that he, sequence, yeah, that yeah, final sequence that. is super great. I think it's a knockout killer ending. It ties all of this stuff together, and I think and you know it's 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 great because I like Damien Chazelle a lot. I think he's a really smart uh, director. Whiplash, right? Love that movie. I think it's super well done. Um, but he's very good, uh, and this is something I'm going to harp about a little bit later, especially in the context of some of these other kinds of movies where like Oscar bait likes to be small in, in kind of like scope um it wants to be slice of lifey right it doesn't it wants to just kind of say hey this is some stuff that happens right like we're not making big huge treatises on like faith for instance right you know like with silence or whatever um we are we're dealing with just like small minute kind of things and and what whiplash was great for was it's a very slice of life movie like that but it's tackling some really big kind of concepts right like ambition and what defines genius right um and uh and this is doing the same kind of thing but with relationships and i think that kind of being able to pull that stuff out and extrapolate that stuff out it all works because that ending is a puzzle piece ending that just kind of made everything before it click um, and it's really playing on the kind of expectation I had, which was it ends, they get together, you know, the end, romance complete, right? Uh, but it was just, I was really surprised and I and it worked so well for these characters and for this movie and it was making such a great point with it, uh, with that ending that La La Land actually ended up in a pretty good spot uh, on my on my hierarchy of whether or not this, this, this is a good movie. So, so while I agree with you that like the ending kind of, really sells the movie i also don't like like that like the story structure could have like uh, like brought brought that point forward as well but i don't think it did it like i think i agree with you that the end this time skip brings it complete but i to my original point i think that they didn't show like they didn't characterize emma stone great past the time skip well enough for like the the kind of contrast to really be brought out in full, if that makes sense, right? Like I, I think I think the ending still works anyway. I just think it could have been better. Um, man, I don't know how I feel about man. Jeez, I don't know. I you know we kind of don't really spend enough time with her, and it's almost kind of so incidental that I don't necessarily mind, if that makes sense. 
Like, what matters... The ending isn't about her as a character or him as a character. It's about them as a relationship, right? Um, and I think that, like, moment of kind of, like, mutual admiration almost where they where they both kind of, you know, kind of sit there and realize that both of their lives are better off having been together, but them being together is not – they don't – you know what I mean? Like, they are better people than they would otherwise be because they were together. Um, but his whole thing about kind of what could have been was just kind of a, um, like it was kind of a reminder to him of like, well, I really wouldn't be the person that I want to be if I had done that, if I was this guy sitting next to her. Do you know what I mean? And so I don't necessarily mind because the completion of the arc is about the relationship. It's not about either individual character. Which is why I also think they don't show the breakup. Which is also important, and I like that they didn't. I thought I liked that the breakup was just kind of implied. Yeah, I, th I think I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know about saying the breakup was implied. I mean, you know, breakup. Mm, pretty simple thing. Breakups are, of course, like the tension, the crashing, and then everything falls up afterwards. That's the breakup. Well, I mean, the real sell-off point is that argument that leads to them just getting out of each other's lives. Right? Like, and I think that's, that's there. True. Like, I think well, that okay. happens. Mm, uh, see, the, the, they, they, they immediately reconcile that. Like, that's... But no, but here's... So here's... I agree with you that that is, quote-unquote, the breakup. But it's not like they have... Because part of me that really likes this is how insistent he is after they've already broken up, essentially. Um, and how hard he, he fights for her to realize her dreams. They're not a couple at that point, Right? But right. But they didn't have the kind of breakup that, like... Man, I don't... The, 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 I mean... The, I, I, what I don't mean to say is it's not an implied breakup because it's off screen. It's on screen. But they don't put, like, a heavy... You know what I mean? Like, it's not like a... It's not like a... We're done. We're through. Don't call... You know what I mean? It's just... It's not, it's not a very... Them breaking up is they have an argument and she walks away and... You just kind of know that the relationship is over at that point, right? But it's not, like, super, super obvious the way that it would be in, like, a typical romantic comedy kind of, or, you know, setup. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I don't know if I agree. She I says, see what you're saying. She says we're done when he doesn't show up to her performance, like, straight up. <laughs> like, they, they do have that breakup. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. I was forgot about that. Well, I mean, but I... I... I think you're right, though. Like, they handle the fact the breakup happens in a way that's realistic as opposed to the whole Hollywood, sure. like... Yeah, I mean, that's really what I'm... Really what I'm that. Yeah, that's really what I'm getting at. Um, you're right. I did forget about that. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think it's actually a valuable point, though, because, like, you, you're right. The, you are right. The actual breakup scene is the fight over dinner. Or rather, rather the... The emotional breakup point is this, the fight over dinner, not yeah. him failing to, to show up at her at her play. Yeah, because, you know, like, I'm pretty sure happens. you, yeah, the fight over dinner happens and you watch that and you're like, well, they're broken up, right? She, and then, but then the thing happens after that and you just, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's uh, like digging the ditch another foot deeper. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that it really does, I think that it really does a good job of, uh, of kind of like accentuating uh, of and I and I, what you know what really sold me on this on this movie after the fact and I came out of it not liking it all that much but it's one of those movies that I thought about it more and more and the realism of the relationship amidst the kind of unrealism of like 
the circumstances to you know like those things playing off of each other really worked for me um like really worked for me and there's and there's actually a lot of little stuff in here too um for instance i i think damien chazelle is great at this kind of stuff uh when it comes to like shots um in in whiplash for instance there are these really great and this is what kills me about the the fact that he's super married to these wonders he's doing all these wonders all the time is he has these really great inserts in whiplash like you know probably the most iconic shot of that movie is the part where uh miles teller puts his his bloody fist into a big thing of ice water right super close-up insert shots like that to me really work and they were super good and he has some of these that are awesome right there's this moment where um you know the the camera's in the driver's seat and you're watching emma stone drive and she's just come out of a really punishing just a hardcore punishing audition right um and she drives past the rialto and remembers that she has plans with ryan gosling's uh character later and it's a little thing you know it's, it's such a little thing but like it kind of lets all of that stuff watch away and that was such a human real incredibly real moment right like as you know as a person who moved to la to make it big or whatever like i understand what it's like to have you know your whole life just be getting shit on all of the time and just the little things you know like the little things like that to just be make it all good you know what I mean? Like, that was such a real moment. I loved that kind of stuff. Uh, but I felt like I... I just honestly feel like he's just pitching for Oscars so hard. Um, which is why it doesn't happen, which is super sad. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I'd have to think about that point more. Anyway, that's La La Land, I guess. Oh, I also thought the music wasn't great. Mostly because it's unmemorable. The, actually, the jazz piano stuff was awesome, but everything else was just kind of... Like, I don't remember any of the songs. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, I... I mean, I remember... I, I mean, there's one song that I remember, but that's because it, they do it three times, so it's hard to forget it for me. Really? They did a song three times? Which song? Yeah, I don't because even remember. there's... There's three, uh, gosh, well, now that I'm on the spot, I, I, I can't remember how to, how to say it. Um, <laughs> well, is it the thing with the piano sting? The piano sting comes back, but do they well, do no, actual I mean, sing songs to that? Yeah, there's, uh, right, yeah, it, it comes back three times, if I remember correctly, because there's one with Ryan Gosling saying it, like, alone, and then Emma Stone with him does it later, and then I think it comes back up at the end. That's not the sting, mind you. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I apparently just disproved my point because uh, I'm not remembering it. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it also has these like great magic hour shots of like the Hollywood sign, and you know, my oh big shit, no, hard I just that. remembered it. City of Lights, City of Stars. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah okay. Well done. Anyway, we talked about La La Land a whole bunch. Uh, what's next? Uh, well, did we all see Moonlight? No. You and I saw Moonlight. Okay. Mango and I saw Manchester by the Sea. Uh, so the, I'm just going to knock out Helen High Water, and then we'll do Fences. Um, Helen High Water is uh, it's directed by a guy named David McKenzie, who I've never heard about before. It's big, big ticket thing. They kind of put it on my list. It's, it's from the same writer as Sicario, which was my favorite film of last year. Uh, it is 
about two brothers who go around West Texas robbing banks so that they can um, so that they can buy back the family ranch, which has been foreclosed upon by banks or whatever. Um, the movie is kind of uh, the movie is kind of a like a western. It's first of all, it's a bank robbing western, but like in modern times, Jeff Bridges. Uh, stars as the the texas ranger who's trying to get after them ben foster and chris pine are the brothers who knew chris pine had chops me actually but um and uh and so the movie's great it's on demand i recommend everybody watch it it's probably actually like my favorite of the the listed ones um just because it, it caters a lot to my like i just like the 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 bank robbing stories and stuff like that but it, it's not an action movie it's and it's not even really much of a thriller like it does there's not a lot of that tension of the kind of you know um are they going to rob another bank all of the bank robberies generally kind of just go off without a hitch and there's a little bit of a chase scene at the end but mostly it's about the kind of the cat and mouse and there's a lot of like philosophical stuff going on about how essentially i mean the movie's making essentially the case that uh, poor white folks are being super shafted by banks. And so the bank robber brothers are basically in the right by doing this, but there's also way more to it than that. And it's really good and you should watch it, but it's totally not going to win because it's not quite that good. Um, and yes, that's Helen high water. Uh, Warren, how about, how about fences? Yeah. So fences is a movie uh, based upon a stage play of the same name. It's directed by Denzel Washington, also starring Denzel Washington. Um, and it's good. It is good, uh, but that's because the original stage play, Fences, is good. That is well-written uh, and with the right actors, which this did have. It can be portrayed really well. The problem is the same problem I have with all stage plays made into films. They don't always work. And I think this is an example of a film that really is serviced well as a stage play, but is not as serviced as a piece of cinema. Um, now, not to say I wouldn't watch it. Like, I think I would recommend people watching it, uh, especially because of like the outstanding performance of like Viola Davis. Like she's up for um, best supporting actress and who she's great. Um, not to say Denzel Washington was bad, um, but the main, the, the story is about a man in his fifties, uh, actually within the 1950s, uh, who has had a weird, interesting, like turbulent life. And right now, like his whole dedication, his life is, you know, supporting his family and like finding a little sliver of happiness through all that while also like keeping true to his duties. Um, and part of the reason why you know, I'm not super sold on it as a piece of movie and it should definitely not win uh, is because it's the story is a man through small scenes of monologuing and him talking about like old stories of himself, talks about himself and shows you who he is as a character. And then when the big reveal near the end happens, you are unsurprised. Um, it's not about a man changing it's about an audience learning about a man and understanding who he is when everything is said and done. Um, so yeah, that is Fences. I'd recommend it, but the play's better. Well done. Um, uh, the, I actually forgot one. I also saw Rival. Neither of you guys saw Rival, right? No. Arrival, okay. no. I like, so Arrival's a heartbreaker for me. 
Uh, Arrivals directed by Denis uh, Villeneuve, who's a French-Canadian director who's great. And I love this guy. Uh, I've loved this guy for a while. Um, he directed a film called Prisoners with Hugh Jackman and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and then after that, last year, he did Sicario. Um, which I saw opening night of its limited release in LA because of just how much I was like super jazzed for it. Um, Arrival is the first movie he's done, like the first big movie he's done without Roger Deakins as his DP, and you can really feel it. Roger Deakins is a super, super famous uh, cinematographer who's really, really good. Um, but so uh, Arrival is based on a short story, and it is a movie. Uh, God, man, I really want to talk about this movie, but I kind of can't without spoiling it. Basically, it's a movie about aliens come to Earth, and um, and a, a physicist and a linguist are working together to try and decipher the aliens' language and understand what they've come to Earth. Like for what reason they've come to Earth, and there's a lot of geopolitics that go into it, and, and you know, military bureaucracy, and it's a very realistic depiction of what you think would happen in this kind of case uh my big 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 gripe with it and this is mostly with the story on like a structural level rather than any kind of like directorial choice um is that the story kind of cops out of its own themes and uh ending with a huge twist that comes in at the end that just kind of cheapens everything it was a huge letdown uh so arrival is a letdown compared to how much i really loved prisoners and sicario but it's still fundamentally a really good movie uh, a lot of people are really jazzed about it for all of the people that have seen this and are jazzed about it and talking about how good it is please go see his other movies and agree with me that they're better because they are <laughs> um and yeah so that's arrival um and then the last two are moonlight Manchester by the Sea. Uh, I don't know which one. Which one do you guys want to do? I'm. I can do both of these. So, well, why don't you, you guys take? Uh, why don't you guys take Moonlight first? Uh, okay, Moonlight uh, was directed by a guy named Barry Jenkins. Uh, it stars a bunch of people that you've probably never heard of. Um, Maharshala Ali, uh, who is in. Uh, you know, he's the bad guy for the first bit. Uh, uh, he's, he's the bad guy for the first bit of Christ. What am I forgetting? Luke Cage. Uh, he's also in house of cards. He's kind of like, uh, you know, he's a famous black character actor with like a really, you know, super deep voice, And he is fucking phenomenal in this. And then a bunch of other people that really aren't in all that much, including a bunch of child actors. Um, Moonlight takes is just kind of follows the life of, um, a poor, I'm pretty sure they're in Savannah, but it might be Atlanta. Um, a no, they're in black... Miami. They're in Miami? He in his childhood, he grows up in Miami. Oh shit. I thought it was yeah. Savannah, but I fucked no, up. He, Fair enough. he ends up in Georgia. That's the point. He... Like, oh, okay, that must have been what yeah, I misunderstood. Yeah. Fair enough. Um uh and it's about him growing up and it throws and it shows his life in three phases when he's a young kid, uh, when he's a teenager, and then when he's, you know, like a twenty something, thirty something. Uh, guy, it is really hard to kind of summarize the plot of this movie because it doesn't have much of one. Um, it's one of these movies that's very, you know, like and Manchester by the Sea is also a little bit like this. Like it's so slice of life that a lot of it is just kind of scenes, like a collection of scenes that aren't telling like a, a beginning to end story in like a narrative sense and are more just kind of giving you an impression of a story in this character. Uh, but it does this in a very smart, um, a very very smart way like it doesn't feel haphazard it doesn't feel random which is the danger with these kinds of movies um and uh yeah i don't know anyway warren what did you think about this movie i mean i 
I was floored by this movie. Like, until this movie, you know, I had my own thoughts and feelings when it came to, like, what really deserved, like, what was the best picture this year, what was the most interesting, what was, like, the best cinematic experience. And once I watched Moonlight, I was like, nope, this is it. This was great. And there's a lot of reasons why. But, of course, one of the reasons why is, of all the films I saw this year, this might have been shot the best, um, like I come from cinematography, like that's my job. And so like just that movie was gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. I agree that this movie was shot, uh, that this movie was shot amazingly. The kind of hitch of this movie, this is the kind of thing that I can get really get behind compared to like gimmicky stuff with Alejandro Inuritu. Um, the, the, the film is shot with super shallow depth of field. Um, so it's a very, it's like... Anytime anything's in focus, right, um, it's super intense. I kind of almost can't even explain. I it's just it's it's like it's like a movie that just like feels really personal, and it is just because of how it's shot, uh, which I think is amazing. Um, when when you're kind of moving through uh, with a very POV ish perspective. Um, uh, on it, right? Like this wouldn't move. This wouldn't work for like a movie like Arrival or or a movie like um, Silence, right? You know, because you, you can't do you can't do those kinds of um, you know like big scenic, right? Like this is you know the super mountainous Japanese coastline stuff, right? Like you can't you can't make any of that kind of stuff work. But it just made it so personal, and I just loved it. I thought it was so great. I thought it was super great. Yeah, like I and I think kind of going further with that, just like really keeping you close, like the. The camera is very aware and wants to keep you with certain people and with what's going on. And the tension in this film just is so, like, you can taste it in your mouth. Like, it is constant, just, like, the struggle and the oppression and all sorts of things going on for this main character and other characters in it. And it's just, it does such a good job at keeping you there and keeping you, I wouldn't say on the edge of your seat because... It's not like you're constantly afraid of something, but you're just in the film the entire time. At least I was. Yeah. Um, more specifically, I guess I'm going to spoil this for you, Manga. I'm super sorry. Uh, more specifically, it's about uh, this guy figuring... I mean, you know, he so he's homosexual. Um, and it was super interesting how well they dealt with it. Like, this wasn't kind of one of those movies that's, like, Brokeback Mountain or, like, Milk, where it's, like, very much about, you know, persecution and what it's like living in X, Y, or Z, you know, as, uh, you know, like, as a homosexual. It's not about uh, any of that kind of stuff, right? It's just, this guy is gay. How does he deal with that? You know, what is his life like? Uh, and, the, the, like, it's, it is, God, it's so... I think I think I have to say that most of it comes down to the fact that it was so real that every moment and every person and every interaction none of it felt cheap none of it felt like for the You know what I mean like it was it was never it was never preachy or it was never like for the audience or it was never trying to teach anyone any kind of lesson it was none of that it was just let's be as like true to this guy let's make this guy as human as we possibly can make him as real a person as we possibly can and put him on screen and see what happens kind of thing which i just got i got really sucked into 
Yeah, I yeah, I completely agree on that. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess we're not we're not gonna argue about this one. This because this film was just were you gonna flat out you, good. You thought I was gonna argue about this? What did you? think? No, I no, I mean like not I'm argue. Curious. I mean, <laughs> well, no, I didn't think we were gonna argue more. Just the fact that you know, there's always things we could squabble over. Was this done well? Was that Fair done enough. well? But in my mind, this was completely and utterly done well, and you haven't raised a point against that. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I really hope, uh, uh, I really hope Mahershala Ali is great in this. He's super great. He's only in it for like a third of the film too. And Uh, he, he, and he resonates throughout the rest. Oh yeah. And he's so important to it too. Um, cause it does the thing where, uh, so it does this thing where the first third, um, the first third, he's a little kid and Mahershala Ali is this, uh, drug dealer. He's taking care of the little kid. Um, and then the middle portion, he's died at this point. Um, but, uh, the middle portion, he's like the kid's a teenager or whatever. And then the end portion, the kid's grown up. He went to prison. He came, he came back, um, uh, and now he's living life as a drug dealer. In fact, he literally goes to the same spot. Like they, they echo that. And you can just, and I, and I love being able to see how much the, you like, it was a really clever way of saying this kid idolized that guy so much. Um, that, that, you know, like, and, and they were just showing you that and it, they didn't do anything stupid. There were no, like none of these kind of like flashbacks, you know, like to uh, there were none of these flashbacks to like the previous part. Like Mahershala Ali never got, like came back, and you saw the and you know you saw this whole thing, right? Like he was just he just was it, and you got it because it just made sense. Uh, it was so well done. I love it. I love that guy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's Moonlight. Yes. Uh, you guys should totally talk about Manchester by the Sea. Okay. All right, Manchester by the Sea. Um, which, as we discussed briefly earlier, was was my favorite of the ones that I saw. Um, um, and I said this isn't true for you, buddy. So why don't, why don't you give me your your, your thoughts? Uh, okay. So first, uh, I guess Manchester by the Sea is directed by a guy named um, Kenneth Lonergan. Um, he uh, uh, he wrote and directed it. Uh, he's actually written a bunch of stuff. Uh, he wrote Analyze That, Analyze This. Uh, he also wrote Gangs of New York. Speaking of Gangs of New York, that's probably why it's on my mind. Um, it is the story of... Um, it's the story of a Boston guy. Uh, his brother dies, and he needs to go take care of his brother's son, his nephew, Um, and you know, so he's living in Boston and he returns to this small new England town, Manchester by the sea, uh, and is taking care, uh, and is taking care of this kid. It's told non-linearly. There's all of these flashbacks, um, to, you know, where the brother's alive. There's a couple of flashbacks to, you know, his time with his ex-wife who's played by Michelle Williams. She's great. Um, stars Casey Affleck and this kid, this other kid who I can't remember his name, but he's not super awesome. And, uh, and Kyle Chandler and I didn't think this movie was good. I think that's, that's not true. I, this movie is good. I can understand that this movie is like a good movie. It's just fundamentally very much a not me kind of movie because I tend to like, like big, big, I, I like to, I didn't like opera, right? Like big things. Uh, and this movie is very small in its scope. 
Um, but the other problem, like the problem that that gets me off of this movie too, is that it is it is similarly like Moonlight in that it kind of it it doesn't have a narrative from beginning to end, right? Like there's not much of like a like a hard narrative through line driving the characters from scene to scene to scene, uh, and you don't get there's not like a sense of structure to all of it, right? Um, in in college, I used to call this plot spaghetti, um, but plot spaghetti can kind of work when you throw enough scenes at the wall and they make a Jackson Pollock kind of impression for what this, and I think that's what this movie is going for, but I just didn't think it worked that well. I also thought that it was like almost emotionally manipulative. Man, I really, it's God, I really didn't really did not like this movie. How do you call it? All right. I want to know how it's emotionally manipulative and how, like, any other movie isn't. Like, it, like you know, n- none of the things in any of these movies really, or I guess some of the historical ones maybe, but, like, it's not like the plot of most of these movies really happened. How? how, how what do you mean emotionally manipulative? Made you feel um, things? No. It, so, emotionally manipulative, so the best example I can kind of get to uh, explain this is that character from Inside Out, the imaginary character that like ends up, you know, the, the her old imaginary friend yeah, who yeah. sacrifices himself so that, that Bimbo she can or whatever get out, his name right? Is. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. To me, that character, as soon as he showed up on screen, I was like, he's gonna die. And then he did. And the movie wanted me to be super sad about it. But because I kind of knew that that's what was coming... I just, it just felt so cheap. And the same thing happened in this movie with his kids. Did you, how did, how did you deal with that midpoint kind of revelation? Should we spoil this movie for Warren? I guess we should. I oh yeah, you Moonlight. should totally spoil it. Okay, so, okay. So part of the non-linearness is you get this scene with him and his, him and his wife. Um, you get a couple of scenes with like him and his wife, but he has a bunch of kids, right? Um, and when he's in Boston, he doesn't have, like, he doesn't have these kids. Uh, and the question becomes, you know, like, the question in my mind was immediately, like, where are these kids? And at first I was like, are these kids dead? But then I was like, no, of course they're, or, sorry. But at first I was like, are, are, you know, are these kids, like, living with their mother or whatever? And I was like, no, if that were the case, they would have lampshaded it by now. Those kids are fucking dead. And as soon as I realized that and they executed on it where those kids were dead and it was because he got drunk and, like, accidentally burned the house down... Um, see, that just felt so cheap to me. See, see, that's the thing, right? Like, like, yes, I could tell his kids were dead, but the way they did it, I thought was like, was, was really well done, right? Like in, in particular, the, the, um, the police, uh, the police station scene after they go through the, uh, they, they go through the, 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 the burn down scene was, was particularly powerful for me. Um, um, but just, just so I did not like. I definitely saw those kids being dead. Like I, like that, that was dead. Like you know, yes, there were kids. Now there aren't. All right, they must have died. That that's kind of what it causes. But like the fact that it happened in such kind of like, it wasn't like a tragedy, right? And it wasn't. It it, it wasn't like it wasn't like a, or rather, it, it wasn't a totally involuntary tragedy, right? It's not like, you know, 
like they got broadsided by a car and you know the wife just couldn't deal with the loss of their kids and that's why they split up and it's not like you know the guy was a bastard either it's not like you know he he went and like did something totally irresponsible right like he did a normal thing and he screwed up but he did like it, it it's just like so human that it really spoke to me and just like his so in in the in the police scene police station scene they talk to him and they they, they kind of briefly foreshadow it because I think they put a scene in between um the uh 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 the 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 burn down in the police station and there's these hints that like you know there are these rumors about him um when, whenever anybody in the town talks about him and um you know the the suspicion is that he he did it he did it on purpose um and so um you know, I, I was kind of expecting the buildup there to be kind of like some sort of confrontation about like him being a suspect in like an arson suspect. Um, and they go through the scene and the police officer is like, you know, yeah, that, you know, assuming the lab work, check, you know, checks everything out. That's that's fine. You're, you're free to go. He's like, what? I, I can go. And he, and they, they say, yeah, it's you know, it's a tragedy, but you it's it's not like it's not illegal to to for, to to forget to put up a fire screen. Um, and so he walks out of the office and then, um, like it, it's, it's, there's this tense, there's this moment. And then he lunges for a police officer's gun and tries to shoot himself, but is unable, uh, to do it. And that scene really spoke like that scene really got me. That was the scene. So that's the scene that kind of saves this and is where I say it is good. Right. But all of the other stuff, like, okay, the guy the guy who's a super asshole to everyone, but he's actually just self-loathing because he fucked something up in his past. And plus, like, the, plus, like, the kids dying, calling all of that just really killed it for me. Okay. In, a, in a weird, you see what I'm saying? It just felt really cliche, I guess, is, like, is, is supposedly what I'm, is kind of what I'm attacking. Um, see, see, and I thought, and I thought there were little things that I thought there were little things in here that I thought were great, right? Like there were some little touches where the moments felt human, like the the part where he is just incapable slash doesn't give a fuck about making small talk with the nephew's like hot mom friend, yeah, yeah, or whatever. That was great, right? That was a great moment because I think what. If this movie was a little bit more trite and contrived, that moment would have been him kind of coming out of his shell and talking about this. way. But no, right? Like, I like that the movie stuck to its guns. It's like, nope, he's a douchebag and he's still in a douchebag in this in this instance, right? He's not going to let that that go um, kind of thing. And I and I loved and I loved actually the the way it was shot, the way that he did it. I thought Casey Affleck in his monologue talking about uh, talking about the fire in the in the police station was fine to good but not really anything you know and not really anything exceptional but just like the like the they must have done like 500 takes to get this right the way that he grabbed the police officer's gun and like it, that worked that worked really well and was so good cuz he you know he doesn't know the safety's on obviously right. um but like the moment when he pulls the trigger and he knows he's killing himself, that really works. That really worked for me, and so I give I want to give the movie that credit that it deserves. Um, but where it doesn't deserve credit, like I don't like that the confrontation at the end is with her trying to forgive him or whatever, just like in the middle of the street. Ugh, I thought that was awful. See, uh, um, I I think that was like 
I think that was kind of like the the, the really bit like I like that because it was like it felt very real to me, like uh, like she, like she was very clearly like not understand like like she 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 was having trouble publish uh, processing her own emotions. And I really liked the scene because it really kind of sold essentially the end point of this like like you know I I think like a nor- like a quote unquote normal version of this movie has you know. Him getting over his past and, and him smiling and him living in Manchester by the sea and, t- and sacking up and raising his nephew. And this movie, like much like La La Land, does the opposite of what you expect. Um, and he just can't do it. Like, and that moment is, I think, the one that really, like, really solidifies that he just can't be in this town anymore. There's too much baggage and he is only human and he can't get any further than it. Oh, uh, see, and, see, and oh, that really, that really. So- like that immediately, fo- or that followed by the like him him crying into his nephew's shoulders, being like I, I, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's like, like essentially he says I can't do it this. beat me yeah be- said, I, it- or I, I can't beat it is what he said. I can't beat it that's yeah. what he says I actually I actually hate that okay so here's what I hate about it I think I I agree with you right I think he shouldn't reconcile these emotions right but I think the point of the movie is to get him to stop acting selfishly about it and live in Manchester by the sea even though it's torture anyway that would have been that, that's where that's would have would have been the proper that feels like it would have been the proper setup for the movie but him chickening out at the end and passing him off to the other guy um them oh god the thing with the guns to fix the boat Oh, that was awful. It's, you know, like classic Deus Ex Machina, right? Uh, they, you know, how much does it take just to set that little bit with the guns up? God, kill me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think the movie wants to end where he says, this is the hardest thing I've ever had to do and I'm not over it. And I and this town hates me and they're going to keep hating me, but it's, but, you know, I can... You know, I'm going to do it for you, right? Like, I, I'm not getting over my shit, but I'm also going to kind of do the right thing. That would have worked for me, for his character arc, almost. But in this, he doesn't have a character arc, essentially. He just doesn't have a character arc. All of See, this shit I, is I, just... I, I, and, I, which drives me nuts. <laughs> I, I disagree, because through the whole movie, it looks like it's building that point. He's trying. He's trying his hardest, right? He goes and he tries to find a job. He tries to figure out how he can make this last, and he goes for it, and then he just... Like, despite all of his effort, he just can't, because it's just that bad, and I think that that's... I think that that's, that, that, that's very valid, that, like, you know, I, you know, like, like in La La Land, life doesn't always tidy itself up super well and he he's grown he's grown and he's closer with his nephew for it but he just he, he can't beat like 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 it, i don't know it feels kind of like i feel for a lot like you know this very kind of happy sappy idea that like you know time heals all wounds it's like it doesn't always and i, I think that was, i think that's very very powerful and very and, and i don't know it's depressing but i think i, I do I think it's I, real. so okay I actually do agree with you in theory, but I don't think the movie sets itself up for that. I think if the movie sets itself up for that, it would have changed a couple of small bits in the middle there. Um, And I don't know that those bits really... God. Like, I guess I don't... Like... I don't quite see him try as much as he should, I guess. Do you see what I'm saying? Ah, man, I, I understand really, your really, point. I don't know if I agree with you, but I see your point. 
I would have liked to see him try a little bit more, even in small ways, right? Like the scene with the mom, he doesn't try at all. You know what I mean? And even if he, do, he even if he tries a little bit, but kind of it's weird and awkward and fucks it up, so he just kind of clams up after that. I think you could have kind of had the best of both worlds in that kind of situation. Um, I think you could have done more with him uh, going around town and kind of like the disdain that people still have for him. I thought that scene was so important, but they didn't. They didn't do that at all. I also didn't like the fact that they didn't show. I, I mean, I kind of get it structurally, and I see why they did it this way. Uh, but I think I would have. I think it would have been better if they had really shown you Michelle Williams just going absolutely apeshit on him for killing their fucking daughters. Like, I think that just would have that belongs in that movie somewhere. Um, ugh, geez, ugh, ugh. Stupid Manchester by the Sea. Um, Sounds like I should have seen this film. Uh, you could still go see it, right? Like, I, I don't think us spoiling it ruins the. Ru- ru- yeah, it was also picked emotion. up. Uh, yeah, it also was picked up by Amazon, so it'll it might be on Amazon Prime sooner than you think. Uh, yeah, it's an Amazon movie studio or Amazon Studios film. Yeah, this is actually kind of like big news. Um, it's. Uh, one of the first of these, uh, one of the first of these, like like online distributors like Netflix and Amazon, who have just been like fighting each other nonstop to try and get, you know, like recognition. Um, but here it is, Manchester by the Sea, beat out Beasts of No Nation, I guess, which was last year, like Amazon or which was Netflix trying real fucking hard. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Anyway, th- those are our thoughts on about Oscar bait. Yeah. Uh, real quick, what do you guys of the movies you saw, you heard about? What are your opinions on winners? Do you want to make any, any predictions? No, I'm bad at guessing Oscars. But if you guys want to, feel free. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because like a lot of the stuff this year has, like every year, like has been claimed that it was designed to be Oscar bait and whether or not that's true, you know, you can argue that till the moon and back because there's things like hidden figures. Did any of us see hidden figures? No. And hidden figures has been getting a lot of flack because it's like set up. Well, the opinion by some is that it's set up for praise, right? It's a historical context about African-American women and like the NASA space program and just, like, you know, I, I, but again, none of us saw it, so we don't actually have an opinion. But, you know, that's one of the ones where it's like, well, if that won, some people would claim it's, you know, because they're giving it to it for whatever reason. Um, and none of us can really argue against that. I mean, I want Moonlight to win, but that's not going to happen. I um, actually kind of think Moonlight might win. Uh, so something the, the the voting rules changed really dramatically since last year. Um, they added a ton of new members. Uh, and if you haven't essentially worked in the film industry in 10 years and have not won an Oscar, uh, you don't have voting rights, uh, even though you're oh, still... Oh, they changed that? Sorry, yeah. I was not aware. Yeah, they changed all this stuff from last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was kind of the fallout from like the Oscars So White stuff, if you saw any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I hope it's Moonlight. I kind of think it's going to be Moonlight. Um, Moonlight reminds me a lot of Spotlight. Did you see Spotlight from last year? No, no, I, I, I kind of avoided Spotlight for 
certain reasons. Oh, really? Oh, I love Spotlight. Spotlight yeah, was no, really I know good. you love Spotlight. Did I, I talk about this before? Okay, well, I'm fine. Well, anyway, so, uh, but yeah, I kind of feel like if Spotlight can win, so can, so can Moonlight. Uh, the kind of, like, if the Oscars are still the Oscars and they're going to behave like their most oscar baby self, then La La Land wins, but I kind of don't think that's going to happen. I think the changes are going to are gonna shake things up. But anyway, uh, we have 15 minutes, and I want to fucking talk about Hell's Rebels because we played... Oh yeah, Hell's Rebels. Finally, yeah, we all do that. We played yeah. Rune Lords. Nothing happened. The the deck of many things. Nick and Enoch kept drawing from it. It was dumb. Anyway, but Hell's Re- Hell's Rebels came back, and we had a big fight. And what did you guys think? It was a big fight. I mean, I don't know. Like, I I liked that. You know, this bit of combat was story driven. Like, I mean, that was really nice. That this whole like walking down the street and finally there's this reaction where they're trying to take us out because they should have been trying to take us out directly forever. Um, and now that finally happens and we like narrowly escape because of our like underhand connections to everything with the Dakari guard and everything else. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was really successful with it being very little RP, like actual RP. Yeah, no, I, I think I'd agree with all that. I, I think it was, I think it was a lot of fun. Um, it's good to get back in the swing of things. Good to you know flex those level eight muscles. Um, yeah, the I I I had actually not planned to have combat here, but uh, we had that podcast talking about arbitrary combat, and it kind of like got me back in the thing. I was like, "Yep, he's super right. I should le- I should give them a fight at level eight. And see, you know, the original way this broke down was that you guys got. Um, like a table read happens uh, where you see one of Barzillai's dream. The reason Barzillai hasn't come after you specifically is he doesn't know who you are, right? For, he knows the Silver Ravens exist, but he doesn't know your personal names. But the dream was a reveal that he had just found out your identities. And it was going to be you guys getting out of the city, uh, like in the nick of time, so to speak. But then I was just kind of like, well, why doesn't Barzillai just send some dudes and fucking Merc? And we'll see what happens. And uh, that's what happened. And we survived. And you survived. I also, I also like the mechanics of, uh, I also like the mechanics of, uh, uh, of some of these fights now. Like you guys can kind of take a punch, uh, which is nice. Yeah. No, when you start saying like, yep, 36 damage, I and a Rakox don't die immediately. (laughs) Yeah. This was, uh, you know, now that, now that mobs are also higher level, I give, they, they have more tools. I really, I, you know, I really like the design of this. It didn't quite come into play, but I really like the design of the kind of magic debuff um, that got applied where you have to, the you know, debuff? It, it debuffs your speed, but then you, but anytime you take healing, um, you have to roll a fortitude save or be nauseated for your, for your next turn. I like that kind of, uh, I like those kinds of mechanics a lot. I mean, that was interesting. And also just the image of retching at the side of the battle was fun. Yeah. Yep. I'm definitely with that. Nox was actually kind of the least interesting player on that map. She just had lots of damage. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it goes sometimes. Sometimes it's just good old smack them around. I was also very surprised at, uh, at your willingness to kind of let the team, like let the team go. Um, uh, so, so that was like, uh, you know, like a calculated, like, you know, I will try and break them out of jail before, you know, but before anything bad happens, but that's like, you know, the silver Ravens do not die with, with the party. 
Beauregard will bravely run away. Um. <laughs> I mean, honestly, th- I mean, well, because I can do this in your podcast, I really, really enjoy how Beauregard is designed. Because, like, with my playing, everyone always just designs things to, like, raffle stomp on some way, shape, or form uh, when it comes to combat or whatever. But it's just nice to have a character who has to run away, like, all the time. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I designed an, an RP heavy hitter um, with, with minimal combat application, specifically for this buddy game, which I knew would be RP heavy. Because um, I, I thought it'd be fun. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to watch, especially, you know, when you're one of your team members like, I'm going to run away and then try to help you, kind of. Like, because what else? <laughs> yeah, what, what else am I going to do? Um, but, uh, but yeah. Um, did, you, did you have any thoughts on, on how the session went, buddy, that you wanted to? Yeah, I don't I didn't really know. Uh, this session was supposed to be uh, kind of a setup for uh, book three, but the combat obviously means that that comes in next week. So there's actually not all that much more kind of like to it than that. I did like the way the back half played out. Like the, the, the interaction with Vanessa's Trex where it's about like, do you, you kind of have to trust. Like the, the, the idea was always that like you would suspect that she's maybe working for Baron and that it was probably a good idea not to fight her. Um, and whether or not that was going to happen was kind of always a question because, you know, like if she's not going to say in front of everyone, yeah, you're going to be fine. We're going to Baron Rogar, uh, or anything like that. Um, but, uh, I really, really, really liked, uh, that kind of interaction where, where, you know, she gives the cease and desist, the get on the grounds, you know, put your hand behind your head order and to see if people followed it, if people didn't. Like, I could 100% see Rakax, and Alaric almost did it, uh, not do that, you know, and fight fight back. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was, I, I think it was... That would have not ended well. Those Dotari elite were really badass. They would have fucked them, everybody up. I, I feel like it was pretty clearly telegraphed what was supposed to happen. Like... The fact that it's all kind of appear when we're all like we're already down. It's like throw down your weapons. It's like well, either like this is kind of like the plot vehicle. Regardless, like like we're probably not gonna fight them back. Either we have to like fight our way out of a jail somewhere, or uh, or they're gonna let us go or something. But I, I I don't think fighting was was ever felt like a, a real option. Yeah, the, to a certain extent, I actually don't like that um, because I want the choice to be there almost right um but i also think that like you kind of can't help but telegraph one way or the other either you put enough mobs in there that it's a reasonable fight and people think that it's just the next encounter in the you know the next encounter in the dungeon kind of thing or you put a whole bunch of mobs in there and telegraph that this isn't supposed to become a fight um so yeah, I don't re- you know I don't really uh, I don't really know. This is a little bit like uh, it's also kind of like a little bit like um, who's that guy uh, Ichthalotua? The first time you guys met Ichthalotua, where it's kind of like how do you interact with this thing? Right, where, you know, are you gonna if you start that fight? What does that fight look like? Well, it's actually a runaway fight. It's not a try and kill everyone fight. I think that all of that kind of stuff uh, plays into this. Yeah, I, I, I think that's uh, I think that's all fair. 
Um, but yeah, I'm excited for I'm excited for book three. Uh, next week we get. Well, you know what comes next week. Right. And uh, yeah. Um, let's. Roar, do you have any? Uh, actually, I have one piece of follow up from last week that I should really get out of the way. Uh, people remember I was talking about the 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 cinematographer behind twenty uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Roger Deakins, doing something different that I couldn't name properly. Um, mm-hmm. I, I consulted with my brother, and apparently the original Blade Runner was shot with an anamorphic lens, and Roger Deakins is using a spherical lens, and or using spherical lenses. I don't know, um, and uh, and people are very angry about this because it's not the same as the original. Um, or, or so my brother uh, tells me. Uh, mm, yeah. Uh, mm, uh, I mean. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, if we're going to go into like that, like first and foremost, like we're not going to really be able to compare when it comes to how these two things were shot. Because first off, this is going to be shot on the Alexa 65, like uh, digital. Uh, <laughs> How do I put this? Uh, it's not film stock, right? But it's going to be at the highest end, like, fake large sensor size camera, which is the Alexa 65 right now. Um, and so, like, the arguments about the anamorphic versus circular, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's already not film stock. It's already not going to be that. So, I don't know how valid those arguments are. Yeah, no, I I, I think... I, I think or rather, I, I don't know enough to, to really agree or disagree, but I know my brother felt much the same way, like, right? Like, it, the cinematographer's choice is much more, like, trust the cinematographer to do his thing right rather than trying to predict, like, the validity of something based on something else. Like, like it would be worse off if Roger Deakins tried to tried to to fake it rather than do it right, if that, or do, do it his own way, if that makes sense. Yeah, like... Right, like, he can do it right if he does it his way. Trying to successfully do somebody else's, like, vision visual, well, vision visually, someone else's, like, visual expertise, like, he's never going to get that right. It's better to service his own yeah, vision. Yeah, yeah. I agree 110%. Although you have... I am definitely in there. Do you, how, how much do you, how much do you jerk off to Roger Deakins as a, as a cinematographer guy? He is probably the most jerked off to cinematographer I can think of. Everyone always talks about him, and I think it's t- super warranted. Are you going to tell me I'm wrong? I mean, I I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. I mean, when it comes to, and this is just like a thing I personally hold when it comes to any like director of photography or, well, anybody in the photographic arts. Like, if your subject goes across better because of what you do, then awesome head over heels to the moon but the moment that you pull away like maybe because people just like commenting on what you bring to the story instead of the story servicing itself then i'm not totally sure if you're doing the right thing oh you know you don't understand how much i agree with that yeah like this is what this is what kills me about this is what kills me about uh emmanuel lubezki who is the uh 
who's the the DP for all of these fucking Alejandro Iñárritu movies. Yeah, let's let's just talk about how much we can hate that guy. Yeah, please, um, right? Please. <laughs> that's that's a whole nother hour of us just like <laughs> hating on DPs that are so self-servicing that they forget that there's a fucking story they're trying to tell I here. No, I know <laughs> it kills me. It kills me. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, I also I I do I also I mean there's there's other there's other so I I'm not as up on, I guess, uh, cinematographers as I am on other, like, roles. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, I keep better track of directors, right? But, like, you know, Jeff Cronenweth, who is the DP that has been doing David Fincher's stuff for a long time, like The Social Network, Gone Girl. Uh, Larry Fong. I talk about Larry Fong all the time, but I love that guy. Uh, Zack Snyder's DP on Watchmen, Batman v Superman, uh not on Man of Steel. Uh, he's doing Kong Skull Island, which I am purely seeing. I am only seeing that movie just because I love like Larry Fong. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean I personally, even though like I work in lighting and camera work, I don't I don't necessarily like follow directors of photography, cinematographers in general, like to the T. Um, because I think, well, it's just a personal artistic statement that I think when you pull from your own pool, you don't always service yourself, right? Like, I think in all forms of art, this is this is going into not the topic, but I think in all forms of art, when you pull from outside of what you do, you better service yourself than when you pull from within. So, like, DPs jacking off the DPs is, like, not, not my game. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Speak in my language. Speak in my language. Um. Anyway, I guess that's it. Did you guys play any games you want to talk about? I've really only played WoW. Oh, Warren, you've been oh playing Oh my god, Duelist so much. Like, you right? do not know how much that is encased. I do you love like it? the shit out of it. Uh, oh, I know. You're killing me. You're killing me. I talked about it last week. I talked about how much I hated it last it's, week. It's it so is awful. the worst thing. Like, okay, let's be real here. It is horrible because it is not set up correctly. But the fact that I even get it is just amazing. Like, I miss my old days of playing the shit out of my, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! DS games. Like, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I We also got corrected, uh, uh, friend of the show, publicist, publicist, I guess, uh, of the show Zhao uh, corrected me on my point about Magic the Gathering. They have been branching out uh, specifically on the mobile market. There's a bunch of like Magic the Gathering uh, like themed games or whatever. So uh, yeah. Thanks for having me talk about movies. <laughs> Any fucking time. Anytime. There's actually a whole bunch of movies I feel like that are. Uh, coming out this year that we're going to do podcasts on, but I can't think of any of the ones uh, that are coming up soon. We're still kind of We're in, definitely going to do one for John Wick 2. Huh? Oh, right. John Wick 2 comes out in February. It comes also, out Lego in eight Batman days. comes out in January, though I'm not going to... That we don't have to do a podcast on that. On what? On, on Lego Batman? Lego, yeah, Lego oh, Batman. I, think, I mean, I'm going to go see I the fuck out of it. I think we absolutely do. It's going to be the best Batman movie that that's ever happened. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> we could have an episode just about ripping apart Batman as a movie concept. You should do that. Oof. Oof, that's interesting. Huh. Man, well, there are, there's a lot of Batman There's a movies, lot of Batman in movies. think about it. 
Like, oh, there's a lot of even, especially if you want to go into like DVDs and stuff like that. You know, there's all those direct to video uh, Batman movies like Under the Red Hood and a Killing Joke or whatever. Mask of the Phantasm, right? Like, like there's there's everything. I mean, there's all yeah. the times that people talk about Superman being like just like the golden boy of pop culture when it comes to superheroes, but it's not. It's fucking Batman. Batman's the one. <laughs> It really is fucking Batman. Yeah, it really is fucking Batman. I mean, I love Superman and everything, and I think, you know, he's great and he's awesome, but Batman, a number one, A+, plus, definitely, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. Well, if you'd like to tell us what you think of Batman or Manchester by the Sea or any of these Oscar bait movies, um, you can email us at somederpsplaygames at gmail.com. You can watch us play tabletop games. You can watch Warren play the uh, the indomitable Maragrug in Hell's Rebels at twitch.tv slash games. You can um, follow us on Twitter. You can uh, read us on iTunes and all that stuff, and we'll read it all because we love you all. Um, uh, but uh, all those links will be in the description. Buddy, did you have anything else you wanted to promote? No, I'm good. Warren, did you have anything you wanted to promote? Mm, I probably shouldn't. We're good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs> <laughs>